Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Ooh, my inaugural preaching on the new carpet. How exciting. I couldn't agree with Melanie more about how personal God is. And uh, it doesn't get more personal than our money, does it? (laughs) People are terrified of this sometimes. Um, But first we're going to talk about a boy who was playing baseball, baseball, basketball, out in his yard on the driveway lost his contact lens, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked, and he looked. Couldn't find it, gave up. Mom went out, and she looked, and she looked, and she found it. He's like, how did you find this contact lens? And she said, it was simple. You were looking for a little piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. (laughs) I don't know, it's funny, I'm going to talk about this later, but it's like, I don't know how you grew up, um, money and cost of things and stuff like that, I was very aware of that growing up, my mom made sure I knew the cost of everything, (laughs) that costs too much, don't touch it, don't go there, there, our house was like a museum, it was really weird, but anyway, but did you hear about the the three million dollar lottery winner, who was going to give away a quarter of his earnings? Now he has $2,999,999.75? A quarter. (laughs) I know, I'm a dad. It's a dad joke. It's just how it works here. But anyways, we're going to be talking about some interesting things, some old things. But uh, something that always got me wondering, it's like, why is it a penny for your thoughts, but everyone has to put their two cents in? Who's making the penny there? (laughs) Um, I know, they just get worse, so I'll stop there. (laughs) We are still going to text at the end of the message, so if you've got questions, please not about any of the jokes. I cannot tell you where I get them. Uh, But we will be in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 8 primarily, but there is a lot of scripture you are going to hear today. Uh, That's just how the Lord led. I don't like to read through a bunch of scripture usually, Um, But it's important that we do that this morning. Uh, It's important that you hear the heart of God as we talk about this issue. And so let's just kind of look back and uh, see what costs were over the years. So buying power over the decades, right? Because money isn't what it used to be. In 1980, $100 was $100. In 1990, it was worth $55, $54. In 2000, $42 to $43. 2010, $33 to $34. And in 2020, $28 to $29. Needless to say, our money isn't buying much. And if you've been to the grocery store, you understand that completely. Uh, housing, which I tell you, I just, we lived in California, and I always thought, you know, California is touted as the most insane place for real estate. Massachusetts is very competitive there, let me tell you. 
but in 1980, I mean, can you imagine uh, buying your first home for sixty-five to seventy thousand dollars? And if you were living in 1980 and could afford that, you almost could. But the interest rates then, I think, were like 18 percent. But anyway, we won't go down that road. But in 1990, the cost of a new home: 120 to 125. 2000, 180 to 190, 2010, 240 to 250. I love the jumps here, because then in 2020, it's 250 to 410. Not just a $10,000 jump, but hundreds of thousands of dollars. So money is a huge part of life, right? What we can buy, what we can live in, it's just crazy. Some other cost comparisons here. The average cost of a car in 1980 $7,000 to $7,500. You can't even buy a used car for that now, <laughs> let alone a new car. But the average price of a modern car in 2022 is forty dollars to $45,000. Now again, these are averages. So I mean, yes, you can find your $25,000 car, but you can also find your $250,000 car. So anyway, the average price of gas uh, during 1980 was $1.20. And the average price of gas during 22 is $3 a gallon. I remember 1980, I lived in Texas, and it was 58 cents a gallon there. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? In the 80s. Uh, and then the cost of postage, right? To mail a letter, 15 cents in 1980, and the cost of postage last year was 60 cents. So it's just amazing how things go up and up and up and up and up. Now, we hear all kinds of people weigh in on these interesting things. And so I've got a couple of quotes from a couple of people that we're just going to kind of blast through because I want to spend most of our time digging into the word. So, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Albert Einstein. There's nothing at all wrong with having money unless money has you. All right. Do not save what is left after spending, but spend what is left after saving, Warren Buffett. You've got to tell your money what to do or it will leave. <laughs> Financial peace of mind is not determined by how much we make, but it's dependent upon how much we spend, Marvin Ashton. Never spend your money before you have earned it, Thomas Jefferson. And it's funny, that, that one there, <laughs> we talk to the TV at times. It's bizarre, I know, but we do that. There was a commercial right now. It's like, it's three days before payday and I don't have gasoline. What should I do? And my wife goes, get on a budget. <laughs> it's hilarious. We have a lot of fun. But it's like, the people are trying to figure out how to spend money before they get it now. It's challenging. All right, we're going to jump right in. Now, you can put your finger in 2 Corinthians 1.8. I'm going to read a portion of scripture to you. Because we just looked at what the world says and what's going on in the world. We want to hear from God and what God has to say about us and about our finances. So you can stick your finger in 2 Corinthians. We're going to go to Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. I'm going to read that for you so you can just hear it. And here's how it starts. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, 
and your vats will be bursting with wine. And it's hard. We take that one so out of context in the sense of God's going to give me so, so much. You know, have you ever had, you know, you wanted more at dinner growing up? I want more, I want more. It's like, you've got plenty, right? You've got enough. And that's what God does with us. He will give us enough, what we need. And it's interesting. I, I kind of always look at this whole idea of your vats will be bursting with wine. Wine was a celebratory thing in the Jewish culture. And that always had to do with sharing and being involved with the people that were around you. And I think, you know, when we have a good handle on our finances, we're able to celebrate that with the people around us and be involved in their lives in a very different way. Just a thought there. But back to verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The world's logic makes sense. Of course, right? That's why it's considered logic. God's logic oftentimes does not. Sometimes it challenges our thinking, and we think, how can we do some of these things that God asks? How do we go down these roads? How do we do what he's asking of us? And I I believe it goes back to that first word there in verse 5, and that's trust. Because this really comes down to, especially when we're dealing with finances, it comes down to who you trust and what you trust about it. And I can tell you, I've been on a very exciting journey with the Lord for a long time with my money. And it's a very interesting journey. Um, And it can be very exciting for you too. But it just depends on where you go with it. And that's up to you. All right, so now we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians 8. Let's go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read through the passage and then we're going to dig in deep. All right. 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed with rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. And we can get real dicey here and say, oh, well, he's really talking about this and he's really talking about that, but there's some basic principles that are foundational and underlie here. And it's like, you know, when I was given the... the, responsibility to talk about the details of finances. We'll get to the, what I'm calling secondary details at the very end here, about the stuff that most people think about when we think finances. Um, but as I spent time with the Lord and really kind of weighed through my journey with him, um, to me, it becomes something very different as far as details that deal with our finances. And it comes from here, um, 
And it was, if you go back to verse 5b, it says, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. And, and that becomes a very important aspect. Um, I think Melanie alluded to it a little bit. You know, when we, we understand we're his and he's ours and there's this relationship and this bond with us, um, our lives become very different. Um, our focus on things becomes very different. Uh, I'm going to steal some stuff from last week because it was excellent. I don't know if you enjoyed Mike, but I certainly did. And uh, there was one aspect that the, the Lord kind of said, use that, but use it differently. And uh, he called it a Mount Moriah moment. And so that's what we're going to call it, Mount Moriah moment. And that was from Genesis 22.9. And um, I'm going to read that again for us. Like I said, we're going to go through a lot of scripture, so be prepared. Um, if you could zip up to that, so that way people can read it as I'm reading it. One more. There we go. All right. I will read it as you read it, and here we go. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and wrestled Isaac to the ground to be able to bind his son and fought him to get him on the altar on top of the wood. Is that what that says up there? Not even remotely, right? Because that was, that was what hit me as I, I was listening to this, because it's like, you know, this is literally my favorite story in the Bible, because can you imagine being sold out? I'm not going to re-preach re Mike's message. We already talked about that. But Isaac is rarely focused on, rarely discussed in this message. He, he, he didn't fight Abraham. He was just bound by him, allowed to be used that way by him. Blows my mind. Because we know what goes next. And then got on the altar. And just got on the altar. And he knew what was next. It wasn't a kumbaya moment. It was definitely a promise keeper's moment that has gone awry. Hike with dad. But he got on the altar willingly. From what I can see, would you agree? I think so. Because they both trusted God. They were both probably not understanding why this was going down the way it was going down. I know I certainly would have not understood this at all. But it happened. Isaac trusted his father and the Lord as we are to trust our Heavenly Father too. Do you have that level of trust where you're willing to get on the altar and say, use me anyway, Lord. Do whatever you need to do. Change whatever you need to change. Isaac willingly was bound and laid on the altar as we are challenged to be a living sacrifice. Because if you're thinking, oh, that's Old Testament stuff and New Testament stuff is different and da, da. Let me draw you to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, don't miss this, reasonable service. God calls that reasonable for us, to get on the altar, to be willing to be used. 
See, we think if we do that, it's going to be a horrible life. It's going to be miserable. Oh, just filled with all this stuff we don't want to do. That's not who God is. And that's not how God works. And it's like, Dave, we're talking about giving. Why are we talking about this? Because it's foundational, I believe. This is one of the most important details. Because the part that always blows my mind is people are quick to trust Christ for eternity, but they struggle with today. And I, I, I mean, I've been there, I'll be there. I'm there from time to time. I don't understand why God allows certain things from time to time, even in my own life. I get it. But we need to live here. We need to go here. And when that happens, we start to see miraculous things. We get to experience them and be part of them. And the joy of the Lord because, becomes something completely, completely different. Because we're focused on him instead of focused on the other stuff. This world is getting louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder and louder because it wants us so distracted on that stuff and completely distracted from what the Lord has. And if we, if we live these distracted lives, we miss a lot of the benefits of the Christian life. We must learn to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, not to lean on our own understanding. Again, the world's logic. You know, hey, you're struggling with money? Boop, 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 boop. App, app. I need more money. Give me money ahead of my paycheck. Oh, here's 100 bucks. And so now you're, you're, the check that you just were going to get is $100 less. And I don't know how many times you can do that. I'm not looking at that app, but we don't need that. That's the world's logic. God's logic is very different. And it looks very different. And it feels very different. Um, I do not any longer enjoy looking for a car. I will tell you that. <laughs> the price alone blows my mind. But there was a time when I, you know, before I was married, I loved buying cars because you could spend anything you want to on a car because you weren't responsible for anyone else. Um, but now I have a family and a wife and a lot of bills. And so, not because of them, but just life. You know that. Anyway, the last vehicle we purchased was our SUV for my wife. We take turns, you know, which car is the worst. And it was like hers was due to be replaced. And so it was a very interesting journey because we had saved so much money for this vehicle. And so it's like, that's our budget. And it was like, okay there are no vehicles on the market for that budget. So how's this going to work? And so it's like, so we're like, all right, well, the Lord has something for us. God has been so, so faithful. We had another car story where our tax check was literally the price of a car, and it was a personal car we had for years and years, and it was great. But anyways, this story's different. So interestingly enough, I had to bring my car to get repaired or something, and the guy that I used had an SUV sitting out in the parking lot uh, with a for sale sign on it. I'm like, hey, do you know who owns that? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was another customer. And they were asking like a couple thousand dollars more than what we had. And I'm like, oh, it's, we're getting closer at least. We're within $2,000 of a potential something or other. And so we started, you know, kept looking, looking, looking. And actually we, 
you know, test drove this car and thought, well, should we just push that other two grand and just, you know, bite the bullet? It's very close to our budget. And we normally don't do that, but we were contemplating it. I don't know why, but anyway. Oh, I know why, because we were going to say, will you please take this? <laughs> That's why we were going to do it, if we liked the vehicle. And it was like, yeah, it was going to meet our needs and all that stuff. We offered our offer. They were like, oh, no, we want this price. We're not budging. So like, fine, God's direction. So, you know, we were down to one car at that time. And a couple of months later, we were looking on uh, Marketplace, I think it was, and a similar vehicle came up. It was a couple that was in Paxton. They met us at the police station uh, to test drive the car. We got in it and started driving around. I'm like, this is that car. <laughs> that was now priced at our budget two months later. And so we were like, hey, we've got this much. Are you willing to take that? Because they were still asking a little bit more. And they were like, yep, nope, we'll take it. We think God's in this. And we're like, oh, I think so too. <laughs> they had had it for two months and couldn't sell it. We had had our money for two months and couldn't spend it. It was a great marriage. It came together. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. Okay? And I'm not saying you should never have a car payment. I'm not saying any of that. We can all do what we want to with our finances. But there are things that you can do with the Lord that make life a little bit more exciting. God has always met our need. And he met our need, yeah, it was two months later, so obviously we needed to wait because we had to wait for them to change their mind. <laughs> and some people would criticize me for that and say, oh, you're nickel and diming people, you're this, you're that. And hey, if you want to call me that, that's fine. I, I'm good with it. But God showed up for me. God met this need. God, I did not have to go out of my budgeted amount to meet this need. And he will do that. And he's done it on bigger things and in different ways in my lifetime. Um, at any rate, I'm not going to believe at that point. But give yourself to God first. It will transform your life. And I always say, well, I, I am a believer and I am a follower of Christ. Yes, you can be a follower of Christ and not give yourself to him. It's a conscious decision that you surrender to the Lord, that you come under his leadership, that you yield to the things that he has for you. It is a different mindset, trust me. And to me, it's one of the most important details of how we start to function as people. All right, secondly, give yourself to giving. Okay, that's weird, but all right. Verse six, it says, so we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And so here's where it changes kind of your relationship with money. Uh, because God's asking, and you know, it's like, I'm a firm believer that every follower of Christ should be giving. Now, I'm not going to dictate what. Because we have a beautiful verse in, coming up in chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that says, Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I love that caveat. 
God's not, just like everything, just like coming to Christ, he doesn't hold a gun to your head. He doesn't want you to do it out of guilt. He doesn't want you to do it out of just this, you know, I gotta give, ugh. That's not who he is and that's not what he wants. He wants you to understand his love and his care and his faithfulness. You know, all those things we just sung about, sang about, sung about. He wants us to embrace those things and understand, wow, you are a good, good father and you are going to do good things for me. And it's like, I can trust you with everything. And it's like, if I, you know, kind of structure my life in such a way that you ask me to, you can use me for your kingdom. And see, that's where the, the shift in thinking starts to take place. Because when you give yourself to giving, it's really what I call you're giving yourself to kingdom thinking instead of earthly thinking. Earthly thinking is temporal. Earthly thinking is going to go away. Earthly thinking, at one point, we're not going to be. And we're going to be with the Lord, and it's going to be all about his kingdom. And, and that's part of how we need to start thinking with this whole aspect of giving. And again, I'm not asking for 100%. Only 50. No. <laughs> Give yourself to giving. Uh, biblical giving starts from a place of joy. If we go back up to verse 2, it says, abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. I mean, how? I mean, I'm never joyful when I pay the bills. Not even once. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that I have the money to pay them. Don't get me wrong. But it's like, I feel like that boy with the loaves and the fishes every week. And not because I'm begrudging, but because it's like, Lord, this is what I've got. And it's yours. And technically it's all yours, but this is what you've decided for me that I need to do this week for you. And he does unbelievable things. You know, as we have all come together, I mean, you're sitting on new carpet that you didn't have to put the total price out to because God took your giving and multiplied it. I'm standing on new carpet. Praise the Lord. This stuff was, there were stains from teen game nights that were just had to go. <laughs> and they're gone. There's no proof. Never happened. There was nothing that happened there. But it's amazing. And see, that's the thing. When we, when we start to go into this journey with the Lord, and you know, we, we've given ourselves to him and what he wants, and we've structured our lives in such a way, and start to go down this road, and then we give ourselves to this whole idea of, of giving about in, in the way that he's asking us to, to come together with him, that it's not just this like random figure or we just pull a number out of a hat. No, we spend time with him, and it matters. Because you might be surprised. What, where he leads you and what he asks you to do. Biblical giving is not forced, like I said. They did not, they, sorry, they did give of their free will. See, it's hard to even think that, wow, someone would even do that. But no, they gave of their own free will. Biblical giving is not forced, but it is expected. It is expected. And I know, you know, there's many people here that, you know, you're giving faithfully and you've got a handle on it, but it's like, Praise the Lord for you, but I also want to invite you into a deeper place with giving. 
Because sometimes we can just kind of go, okay, yep, that's what I'm giving, and we don't think about it, and it just, it's this thing. Don't let it just be this thing. Let it be something that has value, that means more, that calls you up to something. And giving yourself to giving will do that. Um, and I, I love the last part here in verses 4 and 5a. Biblical giving is experienced as a gracious act and a privilege. I mean, I'm thankful I did not have to bring a sheep in here today and <laughs> bring it up to the altar. Okay, I, I, maybe you guys are excited about that. I don't know. I'm glad we don't have to do that. So to me, giving is far, far easier. But the connectivity, I think, has been lost. And not like the more we give, the more we're saved. or not, not talking that at all. But to me, when I'm, I'm, I'm giving and I'm focusing on what the Lord has and it's, it's an offering to him, it's a sacrifice to him, it's a donation to him of, to stop and focus on his sovereignty. doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. But there's something in it, and that's where, you know, I've always gone to. There's something in this that's far greater than we're catching oftentimes. It's not trying to, you know, I, I, you are my people and I want to make you poor. That's not what he's asking us to do. So there's got to be more to it, right? Don't you think? Because I think when he has our heart, he can move us any way we want. When we're, we've given ourselves to giving, that, okay, yes, I, I'm on board, Lord, and I want to do what you want, and I'm willing to kind of go and however you want it, I'm open. Even showing up, in, whether it's an envelope or a text or you go online, it just becomes something different. Or even when you reconcile it, you know, if you're giving online and you reconcile those donations, pray over those. I have to believe that, you know, the things that are happening in our church as of late are because more people are getting involved with prayer and asking God to do some things here. And that's important. But also include, let him use what you have to further his kingdom. We've got a whole community out there that needs Christ. And it's like, we've got to get to them, whether we're bringing them in or sending people out to get them to bring them in or having them come to a fast car to introduce them to the, you know, the church, whatever that takes. Um, interesting thing. Our missionaries to Peru, Dave and Tanya Lyles, challenged us to do something really kind of dynamic. Uh, it's something that they've done for their married, married life, and um, they kind of presented it here when they were at a missions conference or something. But they, you know, went, talking to God about giving, they're like, Lord, you know, we're burdened for XYZ project. You know, and there was something going on for them. And, and so it's like any unexpected money that comes in, we'll give it to that project. My wife and I have done this. Uh, we, there have been things that we've wanted to get involved with or situations that we've wanted to give to and it wasn't there at the time. And so we're like, Lord, hey, we're burdened for this project. Anything you want to go to it, use us. And it's amazing. You never know what's going to show up. 
all of a sudden there's some kind of a rebate from an insurance policy, which those are rare, I know, but, <laughs> but it happens. Um, but it's like it's stuff, all of a sudden money came out of the woodwork or comes out of the woodwork because it's like we've done that more than once. And we've, we've given it. It's been exciting because it's like, hey, something we weren't going to be able to be a part of, we can now be a part of. And so it was kind of a cool way. And again, it's those times that it's like, hey, Lord's taking the loaves and the fish and it's going out. And he's doing it. Um, there's some cool, cool things where Deb and I have had situations where people have been in need or people just kind of have some financial struggles and we've been burdened to help. And here's what we do, and it's very cool. Deb will pray, I will pray, and say, Lord, you know, what do you want us to do for this situation? And he always, boom, gives me a number. And so when I get that number, I go, you know, has the Lord talked to you yet? And she'll go, yep, he did. And I was like, well, all right, what, what did the Lord give you? X, Y, Z. What did the Lord give you? The same. He's done it. Rarely has it been different. And then the times that it has been different, it's been, all right, let's pray a little bit longer and see what the Lord really wants here. And then it's changed for one of us or both of us to something very, very different. And it's a cool situation to be able to be a part of the Lord and a part of the Lord's work and to be able to be involved that way and again, I'm not saying it's got to be millions of dollars. Sometimes it's 10 bucks. You know, I, that's the thing. I'm not saying, that's the thing. Sometimes we equate, you know, oh, to give something substantial, it's got to be $500 or $1,000 or whatever. Not necessarily. It has to be what the Lord's asking you. And are you willing? Because he can turn anything into anything, anytime. All right. Lastly, and we get to kind of cruise through this because I want to make sure we have time for Q&A. Give yourself to genuine love. And that comes from verses 1 through 3a and verse 8. And verse 8, I, I like the way the ESV says it the best. And I'm going to have it up there just so you can see it as well. It says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And again, it's, it's a, a matter of just going through the motions of giving. Yeah, it's okay. You know, oh, I feel good. I gave. I did my thing. Whatever. But being connected to it is far greater. Being connected to the Lord and his love for you and your love for him and you're kind of, Lord, this is what we agreed on and this is what I'm giving you and I'm proud of this. I'm happy about this. I'm cheerful. I'm joyful. I'm all those things. And it's because there's that love connection with you and the Lord. And I know it sounds like, oh, we're going down some weird road. No. We're not. God is that personal. God is that intimate. God is that connected to us. And he wants our Christian life to be that connected. See, sometimes we have all these disjointed things that we kind of do as Christians that are just like, it's Christian activity. 
but it doesn't have that thread of God's ownership in it. It's just stuff we do. Sometimes it makes us feel good. Sometimes it makes us want to do other things. There's all kinds of stuff. I don't, I'm not going to try to go down that road. But this whole idea of giving yourself to genuine love, to, to loving God and loving what he's doing through you and in your life and to be able to be a part of the kingdom and what it holds is a very exciting place to live. Giving becomes something intentional despite circumstantial. You give because you want to. You give because you have to. You give because you're compelled to because your love for the Lord and what he's doing and what he needs to do is so great in your heart. And again, I, you know, I was a rote, you know, I, get, I grew up very, very differently as far as what my relationship to giving used to be. And I'm not saying you're going to be here today or tomorrow. It's just a flip of a switch and a decision. But it is a journey that you need to take and to go on and to develop. You honor God by giving him first, to him first. And that sometimes is a challenge because that doesn't make sense to us. You know, Lord, if there's something left over, yeah, it's all for you. No, figure out. Again, that's where coming to the Lord and figuring out what he wants from you. And that becomes first fruits. That becomes the f- what I'm going to give you, Lord. And I'm going to trust you to make up the rest. And I can tell you, in our entire marriage, we have never missed a bill. We have never not had food on the table. We've never gone really without much. God is faithful. I mean, that's, I can't say that enough because it's like he's proven it over and over and over and over and over again. But you trust God's love toward you and to meet your needs and to provide what you need. And I think that's sometimes where I struggle there because I want a whole lot more than I need. I'll be honest. There's a lot of stuff I love. But it's like God is faithful to meet what I need and learning to live with contentment in that becomes something very special. Going back, kingdom-minded versus earthly-minded. Uh, Matthew 6.33 gives us that challenge. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first. And that's that kingdom thinking that, okay, God gets honored first. God gets put first. You know, we went through Colossians, and what was that? The preeminence of Christ, right? He gets put first. And we consider him first. And when we start to do that in our lives with everything, we live different lives. We have different focuses. And it's a very exciting place to live. I know I, I'm not making it sound that exciting, but it is. <laughs> Talk to me later. I can get way, way more animated. I just don't want to be crazy up here. The preceding details of giving are the details that are vital and foundational from my perspective. Giving yourself to God, giving yourself to giving, and giving yourself to genuine love. Um, the secondary details is what I'm calling them, having a structure, a budget to get and understand your, your money and 
all your resources, eliminating debt to gain freedom from the stuff that we have and having our money work for us, learning to be content with what's available to you versus looking to things for happiness, financial planning to surprise expenses. So surprise expenses aren't a surprise. Um, preparing for your future so you can retire well. Those are secondary issues. God speaks to those things. Um, and I'm going to draw your attention to that in a second. It is said 90%, 90, 90, 90% of individuals say that money has an impact on their stress level. 90. It's a lot of people in this room. I'm not saying all of you, but I'm just, maybe you're part of the 10%, I don't know. But 90%. Be part of the 10, right, who do not stress about it. And I feel that will come from giving yourself to God, giving yourself to giving, and giving yourself to a genuine love. Um, as a point of, because you know, I was the details guy, uh, there are cards in the seats that have the live, give, save, limit cards. Um, I'm going to let you read those based on the time. Uh, but there's just some tools. Uh, they come from Dave Ramsey. Uh, just you know, live, enjoy your money, invest in life. Give, always give something first before you spend. Save, always save something. And then there's some recommendations there. And then limit debt. Um, and then learning how to snowball debt so that way you can get out of it and it can get away from you. Uh, so those are some tools that you can take with you. Um, with that said, let's pray. And we'll do a quick Q&A. And hopefully I've answered more questions than I've left you with. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, we come to you and uh, we're thankful, Lord, for your word and Again, most importantly, our relationship with you is something that is dynamic and unique and it's living and breathing and something you very much want to be a part of. And Lord, I know that you will never force your way into our lives. You want us to, by our own will, invite you in. That starts with salvation and that transitions into our life with you. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to give ourselves more and more and more to you, that we would step away from this world more and more so that we understand your ways, understand your thinking, and are a lot more in tune with your logic. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you guys threw questions out there, there's a possibility that I've gotten them. Oh, my. <laughs> Let's see. Oh. oh, wow. Okay, there's a lot of questions. All right. Uh, let's see. You said, Isaac trusted God and willingly surrendered everything. Since we're talking about money, is it really possible to completely surrender all of our money to God? Uh, maybe you could share how you reached that point in your own life. Um, To me, that, I mean, everything is his. I see it as his. Um, Mike alluded to that last week, too. It's like, you know, my car is God's car. Um, I, it's funny, I live in the same place. It's like, um, I, I let anybody use it if that needs it or whatever. It doesn't mean I don't worry. <laughs> but it's like, but it's God's. 
If it's going to get crashed, if it's going to get ruined, if it's going to, it's his. And then it's like, I'm like, all right, Lord, it's your car. You got to replace it. So, <laughs> and he's faithful. He's faithful to do that. Um, but it, it is, I mean, even our, you know, our things, our money, it's like, it's, you know, I see it as 100% his. Um, he asks for some of it to use for his kingdom, but then I'm still responsible for the other part to steward it. Um, there's a whole other aspect of, you know, a, a parable about met people and the talents that are there and what we do with our stuff. That's a whole other message. Um, but we are called to be stewards. And so it's all his really. And so how we take care of it does matter. Uh, let's see, it says, you said it's not wrong to have a car payment. Uh, what are some practical things to consider when deciding, or not to take a, deciding whether or not to take a loan? Uh, does God have in this? Um, I don't know. My first thought is, just because you get a loan doesn't mean that God's for it. <laughs> I could go down and get a loan for a car that I should never own easily because I follow godly principles and I have a really good credit rating. Um, but that, the whole idea of car payments, again, you're not in sin. Um, Proverbs talks about this. The servant is you know, in debt to the lender. There's stuff it prevents you from doing other things. That's all it does. Um, and you can't, your money has to do other things because it's going to a commitment that you've made. Um, so it's not wrong, um, but it just prevents you from doing other things sometimes. And the goal is, is you know, some people, I, I used to have a friend that a car payment was a way of life for him. He never thought of not having a car payment because that's how he was raised. And that, that's a whole other area that comes into this, how we're raised and how we are are or are not taught about finances. It's a big thing. Um, I would say that's you know, part of the school system. <laughs> we should all have you know, some kind of say in there. I like, teach people how to handle money. Um, but anyways, they're not wrong. Um, but have a budget. Stick to your budget. Um, you know, go in knowing what you need what, and do some research. I mean, that, those kinds of simple stuff. That's secondary details. Um, you know, we made a commitment a long time ago just to not have one if we could get away with it. So, and I used to have car payments. I bought new cars all the time. It was crazy. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't want to go too over here. Should Christians give away virtually all of the money they receive every month except that which is necessary to meet true basic financial needs? Um, my, my deferment there is what is God asking you to do? I don't think he's asking everybody to live on the poverty level and to give every penny away. I'm not, I don't think he does that. But he wants us to be willing to. Right? The rich young ruler, give everything you have away and follow me. He's not asking everybody. He didn't give that message to everybody. Certain people needed to hear that. And again, it, becomes, it comes down to your relationship with money. It really does. If it has you, God's going to ask you to do things that you'll, like, to get you away from, you know, money being this thing for you. Um, but if it doesn't, God's going to have you use it in very cool ways. And a lot of times it's to bless your life and bless the people around you and bless, I mean, I know very, very, you know, there's a lot of people in here that are very generous, hospitality-filled people. Um... Is it okay to give other Christian ministries beyond our own church? If yes, how much of it cuts into my giving here? 
Uh, I mean, as the scripture shows us, it was the local churches that started, you know, this is where giving was coming in and going to, but it doesn't mean that sometimes those ministries were going to other places as well and other ministries. Um, we should support the ministry here first, I would think. And then, I mean, my wife and I, we support multiple ministries, multiple people in different places doing different things. Um, but our primary focus is the success of the ministry here. And so that's where the bulk of our giving goes. Um, if all is truthfully the Lord's and he doesn't need us to give, why does he call us to? Um, would you say I answered that question already? Why does he call us to give? I think so. But I will answer it anyways, because <laughs> my wife is going to lose her mind. <laughs> um, I think it comes back to our first point. Does he have our heart? And are we willing to do whatever he says? And it's, it's a thing. It's like, you know, we go, immediately we go to the catastrophic. He's going to ask me to get rid of it all. No, he's not. Rarely does he have anybody do that. Do you know of anybody who's given all their money up? I don't. But I know that if he does ask us to do that, he will meet our needs somehow, some way, because that's who he is. All right, let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the people in this building and their commitment to you to hear your word, to hear this challenging topic. And, um, but it really isn't challenging, Lord, because in the right perspective... There's joy here. There's bliss here. There's excitement here because we are connected to you. We're connected to your plan for us. And Lord, we catch the, the whole idea of giving and what it, it means for us, to us, and for the kingdom. I think that's an important focus here that was kind of a, a secondary anonymous thread. But the kingdom is where we need to be focusing because this world is not our home. Uh, there's going to be a time when we are in that kingdom and the things that matter here will never matter again. The Lord, use us, use our finances, and Father, may we be good stewards of all that you provide for us. Uh, we thank you, we praise you for who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Hopefully it's uh, going to be warmer.